I'm just a kid. Like hundreds of thousands of kids here in America, here in your neighborhood. It's not my fault I don't have a family to support me. It's not my fault I bounce from school to school. Chances are pretty good I'll be homeless one day. Or in prison. Or, well, I might even be trafficked. That could be my future unless someone hears my voice. Someone like you. There's a foster care crisis in America. A crisis we can solve. Get this. There are more than 400,000 kids in foster care and 4 million in child welfare right here, right now. A well-intentioned government is trying to help, but the local church is the best equipped to help. That's where Care Portal comes in. To serve more kids, to equip God's people, to give a voice to the vulnerable. Every community has kids in crisis. Every community has churches nearby. Those churches are powerful allies to children and families in need. Strengthening families in crisis, supporting the heroic work of foster families, and ultimately providing a safe and permanent home for every child. Through easy-to-use technology, Care Portal connects the child to a family, the family to a church, the church to a community of people and organizations who care, bridging the gap between those in need and those who can help. We all have something to give. When you say yes to Care Portal, you are equipping the church to be the church and serve children right here at home. We can do this. We are doing this. We invite you to join us. Well, good morning, City Church. How's everybody doing this morning? How many of you are grateful that you got to sleep the midnight hour twice last night? Hey, man, you guys are looking uh, very chipper this morning, I might say. And uh, I'm very grateful that I got to sleep that midnight hour twice last night because uh, I am running point on our family solo this weekend. And it is a beautiful, beautiful story and, uh, of chaos, all right? Um, this morning, we have an incredible opportunity to celebrate Stan Sunday. Uh, or what many of you know as Orphan Sunday. Uh, this is something that we've been a part of for over a decade now uh, through a state-ran initiative that came to us a number of years, and I'll get into that later. But this morning, I want to start off by telling you a story of a little boy that grew up right here in the state of Oklahoma through the DHS system. And if you don't know what that is, that's the Department of Human Services, where these kids are placed if they have no home to take care of them. 
And so this little boy was uh, born to a mother that was unfit to take care of his physical needs. Uh, she had several chemical imbalances and she was just unable to care for this little boy. And so she had to place this little boy in the custody of the state of Oklahoma, hoping and praying uh, that he would wind up in a good family. And so this little boy went to several homes uh, just a few months old. And when he was five months old, he landed in a family of faith that was sitting in a local church that looked a whole lot like you, all right? And so back then it was pews, all right? We didn't have chairs back then. Um, but this little boy was placed in this family of faith and they began to take him in. They began to love for him. They began to care for him and meet his physical needs. In fact, this dad, this foster dad was a business owner and he decided to do something crazy. He said, hey, we're not going to sever the rights with the biological mom. We're gonna keep engaged with her. We're going to love her. And let me tell you, it got messy, all right? Uh, in fact, this foster dad was a business owner. He even hired this biological mom to work in the family business. That's next level, all right? Not asking you to do that because it was crazy, all right? It was messy. Um, and so uh, when this little boy was nine years old, this family began to want to adopt him to make him their forever son. And so this family had three older sons. And so this would have been their fourth son, the youngest son. Uh, but the district attorney at that time said, no, we're not gonna allow that to happen because we wanna sever rights with the biological mom. And the foster dad said, no, we're not doing that. We're gonna keep her engaged. We're gonna make her a part of our family. And, and so the DA said, what we will do is give you permanent guardianship over this little boy. And so as they're sitting in court, the little boy looked at this new family um, because he had been in and out of the shelters and it kind of knew the lifestyle as you learned in this video of most of these kids wind up on the streets and then they eventually wind up in prison. That's just the reality of the narrative of these kids that don't wind up in a home. And so this family, <clears throat> 40 years ago, decided to do something about engaging orphans in their city. In fact, they had over 20 children come through their home and they're sitting in court that day and the little boy looks to the, the mom and the dad, the foster parent and the foster dad and he said, what's gonna happen to me when I turn 18? Because he knew the narrative. He'd heard the stories in the shelters by his caseworker. Her name was Linda. And they looked at him and they said, nothing's going to happen to you. You're our son forever. Little did that little boy know, but those words would change the trajectory of his life. And so when that little boy turned 18, he changed his name for the third time to James Robert Helmkamp Moss. Why do I know that story so well? Because it's my story. I was that little boy. I grew up through the Department of Human Services, and it was a family of faith that decided to engage my story why I'm sitting here today. I wouldn't be here, I promise you, without Gerald and Ramona Moss. I would be in prison, because <laughs> that's just how I live my life, all in, <laughs> on whatever I'm, whatever I'm doing, all right? That would have been the narrative, all right? But you don't have to look very far in your Bible, in the text, in the scriptures, in the gospels, to realize that orphans and widows are very near and dear to the heart of God. In fact, he's very serious about what we do and how we engage widows and orphans. Exodus 22 says this, the Bible tells us that you must not exploit a widow 
an orphan. He goes on in Deuteronomy chapter 10. He says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice and he shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. I'm so thankful for that this morning. Psalm 68, is a, he says he's a father to the fatherless, the orphans, the defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. I'm so thankful for the Moss family this morning. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. Isaiah chapter one says this, that we are to learn to do good, that we are to seek justice, that we are to help the oppressed, to defend the cause of orphans and fight for the rights of widows. In case you haven't realized this yet or not, this isn't optionable for us <laughs> as people, as sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. James goes as far as this and he says, pure and genuine religion, catch that, pure and genuine religion. In the sight of God, the father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. James is a beautiful story of what it looks like to live countercultural. You see, the church at that time had found themselves catering to the wealthy and the rich, giving them seats at the table. And James comes along and he says, no, I want you to embrace this Jesus life, this life of caring for the poor, for the destitute, for widows and orphans. In fact, the, the, the Bible gives us an entire book of what it looks like to redeem widows and orphans. It's a book of love, a book of tragedy, tragedy of triumph, and ultimately redemption. We find this story in the Old Testament in the book of Ruth. And then there's a mother and a father named Naomi and Elimelech. If you're pregnant this morning, uh, the name Elimelech is readily available for you. For th it's like the hottest name of 2023, I'm telling you. It's going viral. But Naomi and Elimelech lived in this little town called Bethlehem. They had two sons. In fact, they found themselves that there was a famine happening in Bethlehem. And so they decided to pick up roots and move to this new city of Moab. Now, Moab was not a great place. It wasn't a desirable location. In fact, it was a very scandalous people who were very sexually perverse and they're moving their family into this region. But in Moab, things went from bad to worse. Remember, they just left the famine and then they moved to Moab and then Naomi finds herself alone because Elimelech passes away, he dies. So now she's a widow. She has her two sons. And, uh, and then her two sons end up marrying two Moabite women. And this was a cultural no-no, like you didn't do this. These are Israelites marrying the Moabites. And it's like, you just didn't do that. But they, they, they married these two women. And then in 10 years time, these two sons of Naomi, they, they both die. And so here's Naomi, not only is she a widow, but she has nobody to provide for her. Her sons are gone. She's here with her two daughters-in-law. And then she learns that the famine in Bethlehem is ending. And so she decides to move back home. But she brings Ruth and Orpah, her two daughters-in-law in and says, hey, I, I really think you should stay here in Moab. 
I, I think this is the best move of you because if you come with me back to Bethlehem, you're gonna be an outsider. You're gonna be rejected. You're gonna be a foreigner in this land. And more than likely, you're never gonna be able to remarry and have children. This is your best chance for a good life to stay here in Moab. So Orpah obliges, she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll actually stay. But Ruth does something different because she's fully committed to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She says, no, I, I am not going to leave your side. In fact, Naomi believed at that point that her life was under a curse from God. And she believed that anybody associated with her was going to reap the results of that cur 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 curse, there we go, as well. Slow down, all right? Ruth 1 tells us what Ruth said to Naomi that day. She says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Those are some powerful words from a daughter-in-law. They're saying, you know what? Not only am I gonna be with you, but I'm gonna move to this foreign land. I know that I'm gonna be rejected. I know that people aren't going to accept me, but I'm gonna stay by your side because I am fully committed to you. And so Naomi asked Ruth, she's like, hey, I, I want you to go out and get us some grain in the fields. And so in that day, God had established kind of this old school welfare system where the farmers didn't harvest the edges of the fields because they let the poor and the destitute, those that needed food, they would come and they'd be able to uh, go along the edges of the field and get grain for food. And so Ruth is out getting grain in a field this guy named Boaz actually owned this field. And here's the crazy thing about this story. This is a beautiful depiction of how God works in our lives, is Boaz was from the same clan as Elimelech, Naomi's dead husband. Unbelievable. So Ruth comes back and Naomi says to her, where did you gather all this grain? In Ruth chapter two. Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. And so Ruth told her, her, her mother-in-law about the man whose field she had worked in. She said, the man whose field I worked in today, his name was Boaz. May the Lord bless him, Naomi told her daughter-in-law. He is showing kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. This is one of our closest descendants, one of your family redeemers. Now there was a system established in that day that we knew as kinsmen redeemers. And so it was established when a family would experience tragedy, these kinsmen redeemers would step up and they would step in and they would buy the land. They would take possession of all the possessions of the family, but they also took responsibility for their lives. Said, hey, we're gonna take you in. We're gonna love you. We're gonna care for you. You can read more about this in, in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus and even Jeremiah. We're not gonna get deep into this this morning. But there were three requirements to be a kinsman redeemer. The first one was this, is you had the right to redeem. So what was that saying? You had to be next in kin. You had to be in line and actually have the blood right in order to provide and step in and redeem this family. The second one was this, is you actually had to have the resources to redeem, all right? 
Even though if you had the right and you didn't have the resources, you weren't buying the land, you weren't taking possession of the possession. And so if you were next in line, you actually had to have the resources in order to do this. The third thing was this, is you had to have the resolve to redeem. You may have had someone who had the resources and the right to redeem, but they necessarily didn't have the resolve to redeem, meaning that they just simply weren't willing to do that. You know, it's like, I, I actually don't wanna do that. I, I don't wanna step up and help this family. I, I don't want to be responsible for their lives. And so something beautiful happens as Boaz takes on Ruth as his bride and they have a son, he marries her. So this Moabite woman who went back to Bethlehem as a foreigner ends up marrying an Israelite, Boaz, she should have been treated as a second-class citizen, a foreigner that nobody was shown any interest to. But Ruth is now married to Boaz. This is unbelievable. They have this son and they name him Obed. Obed was the great grandfather of, catch this, King David. What's the lineage of King David? Straight to Jesus. Now, Ruth and Naomi are tied into this lineage of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful story of redemption. You say, Jim, why, why do you tell me this story this morning? Because in a, cultural, in a cultural today that views widows and orphans as liabilities and bird, bur, burdens, we have Boaz-like opportunities for generosity all around us. I'm so grateful for Gerald and Ramona Moss that said, we're gonna be Boaz to this little boy and we're gonna redeem his life. Why is this story so impactful and timely? It shows us God's method to, to provide for those who have no family. This is God's method of redemption through the broader family of men and women who have put their faith in God. Boaz was a man of faith. It's a beautiful story of redemption. I want you to catch this this morning. Through the generosity of great men and women of faith, we have the trajectory to change the lives of orphans and widows. You'll see this on the screen. The gospel expressed through the local church is the answer for the cultural dilemma of caring for widows and orphans. I got to experience that. I got to live that out. There's a movement happening right now all across our nation because of the state of Oklahoma decided to get involved. We are one big, beautiful, messy family through Jesus Christ. He has grafted us together. We are one. And so as the local church, what does that say to us is one is this, is we have the right to redeem through the lineage of Jesus. Boaz had the right to redeem Ruth. He had the resources to do so. And he had the resolve to step in and do it. He was her kinsman redeemer. We are the kinsman redeemer for widows, for orphans. It's up to you and I as people of God, as sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And here's the beautiful thing about the church, the global church, not just city church, we don't have all the resources to do this, but the church as a whole is we have the resources to redeem. 
when we choose to get involved and say, I'm going to do something about this. And I believe this thirdly is God will give us the resolve to redeem, amen? The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. When we look to him, he will give us the strength to do what we deem impossible, that there's no way that I can get involved in that. You see, real religion, according to the word of God, is serving those who literally have nothing to give you in return. Real faith translates into action. Real faith goes somewhere and it does something for someone. Through Jesus, we are one. We are one family. These aren't their orphans or their widows. They're actually our orphans, right? They're, they're our widows. And the, the really sad statistic of all of this is that the number is around 400,000 orphans uh, in, in, the, in the, the care of the United States government right now. And so you know what they do? They use that number to predict how many prison beds they're gonna need in the future. It's really sad. I was one of those statistics. I should have been in one of those beds, but it was because a family of faith stepped in and said, no, we're gonna do something about this little boy and we're gonna love him. And we're gonna have the resolve to do though, even though it's gonna be incredibly messy, it's gonna be incredibly difficult, but we're gonna stay with him and he's gonna be our forever son. Back in 2010, we launched this beautiful movement that you see today called City Church. And a year later, the state of Oklahoma came to us and said, hey, we've started this project and we want you guys to be involved. I'm gonna share the timeline of this. You can see it on the screen this morning. But the 111 project was launched. One family, one child, one purpose. And so they came to us and said, hey, what would it look like for you to open up the 11 project in Tulsa County. And we were like, look, we're a small church. <laughs> we don't have a lot of resources. We're, we're not even a year old, but we wanna be involved. So here's what began to happen is that, that same year, we had a conference called the 8046 conference. That was the number of kids in custody of the, of the state at that moment, 8,046. A few years later, we were able to hire Chris Campbell, an executive director for the One One Project. He's done a phenomenal job leading this movement. And then in 2015, the Oklahoma DHS and the 111 Project launched Oklahoma Foster's Campaign with the governor of Oklahoma, Mary Fallon. I'm so grateful for her. And then in 2015, these are some of the things that we have been praying for and hoping for that there would be enough families to step up to actually close shelters. These shelters didn't close because of funding. They closed because there was enough families to take in these kids for immediate placement and say, we're gonna be the bridge. When a, family, when a child is removed out of the home, they're gonna be placed in our home to care for them and love them. The first one happened in 2015, the Pauline Myers Children's Shelter closed in Oklahoma City. Why? Because it was no longer needed. It's beautiful. In 2016, the Care Portal, which you're gonna hear more about here in a second, it launched in Oklahoma, specifically here in Tulsa County. It's a real-time portal for DHS workers to put needs on, on, the, on the internet and the church to partner with them and say, hey, we're gonna step in, we're gonna meet that need. We're gonna buy that bed or the bus pass or whatever it is that's needed to keep that child in the home, in the biological home. 2018, the Laura Dester Children's Center right here in Tulsa closed. It's huge. 
They used to have like 80 to 90 kids in it at any given time. In fact, here's the story of when this all started is Oklahoma was in the bottom five of caring for these kids. Fast forward 2019, Oklahoma is recognized as a top five state for a decrease in kids care and an increase in foster families. Why did that happen? Because the church stepped up, amen? I'm so grateful for that. In 2021, the care portal began to expand and blow up. So our goal was to open every county in Oklahoma, all 77. And so the 26th county opened for the care portal care portal serving nearly a third of the state. Now we have over 30 counties that are open. 2021, the Oklahoma child welfare numbers dropped below 7,200 for the first time in 15 years. Guys, listen to this. It's still dropping. 2022, that number is below 6,800. Why? Because people of faith are stepping on. Yeah, let's celebrate that this morning. Back in 2010, we used to, or 2011, we, we would have our staff meetings and then we would spread out and say, hey, we want you to go meet with churches and tell them about the 111 project and get them involved. And it was like pulling teeth, like no churches want to be involved. Here's what's happened. Today, there's 329 churches that have said yes to this just in the state of Oklahoma. Amen. 551 families are fully committed to say, we will be involved. We will do something about this. And here's the beauty of what's happened is 20,242 children have been served. Unbelievable. See, the trajectory is changing. Every request that goes on the care portal has a purpose. Kids don't have to leave their biological families because their families are supported by men and women of faith. Children adopted uh, to youth that are aging out of the DHS. These people have never had the chance to have a family, but they end up having a spiritual family through a connection that's made on the care portal. So grateful for that. This morning, I wanna share, show you a story of a young lady who a family of faith engaged her story as a young mother. Check this out. In every community, there are children and families in crisis. What if each child touched by the child welfare system experienced the love of Christ through a church in their own community? Care Portal uses an innovative online platform to bridge the gap between children in need and churches who want to help. This technology allows child welfare workers to share needs so that willing churches can respond in real time. We th often think we have to go somewhere around the world to really meet needs, but what we've realized is there are needs all around us. So you can drive five miles away from your house and there are needs there. My whole apartment was like empty and I was wanting to have like a home for my daughter to come home to and I just wasn't able to make that happen, like struggling to pay rent and picked up a second job and just trying to do everything I can to get my daughter back. 
a girl named Kayla, uh, needed a crib, and we said, this is it, let's go meet it. So we brought the crib to Kayla, and over just the course of two to three months, we kept bringing furniture over as we found it and bought it and formed a relationship, and uh, it's been such a blessing. She reminds me of my own daughter. Um, she's got such a sweet spirit, and you know, you have these perceptions of what this is going to be like, but when you meet somebody face to face and you see they're trying, I mean, that's just a blessing. That was like the greatest thing to have people who like are there supporting me, like you don't feel so alone. I mean, that's what Jesus is about. It's how do we get out and meet the needs of others with compassion and with mercy and with love. Sometimes it's physical, but sometimes it's just being with people. There's always fear, right? We fear looking foolish. We fear being misunderstood. We fear being taken advantage of. But the reality is we find our life by giving it away. And the care portal is an avenue to give your life away in small ways and in big ways. And, and that's, that brings joy. That really brings a lot of joy to who we are. Isn't that beautiful? I'm so thankful for the gift of technology. <laughs> I'm so thankful for the local church. My life will never be the same. It's forever changed. My boy's life was changed because of that act of generosity. Like I told you earlier, it's, it's not an option for us to say yes or no to. This is something that God says, no, you, you I, I want you to be involved. You're going to be involved as people of God. One of the, the greatest needs that is needed on the care portal are beds. You may be here this morning and be like, man, I, I don't have the money to buy a bed. But here's the beautiful thing as people of God is we pull these resources together and your $5, your $10, your $20 adds up and we're able to go buy a bed. Sometimes a home needs exterminated because they have bugs. So you know what? These kids can't live in this home until this home is exterminated. Minor cost. Sometimes it's a, a car that needs repaired. Sometimes it's a bus pass. Sometimes it's tires. And the beautiful thing is it's happening. It's happening in over, over half the counties now in the state of Oklahoma. So this morning, I shared with you that that number has gone from above 8,000 to around 6,700 because the church got involved. So this morning, I want you to do something. I want you to grab your phone and open up the browser that you choose to search, whether it's Google or whatever, Safari, Mozilla. And I, I want you to type in cc.guide and you'll see these orange tabs. At the very top, it says Orphan Sunday. And I want you to click on that. And it says this, I'm ready to engage the foster care crisis. It's a crisis. We have 400,000 kids, our kids, our orphans that don't have a home. So this morning, I'm asking you to do one of three things. 
The first one is this, is you may be here this morning, you say, man, God is prodding my heart to be a foster parent or become a foster family. And you can check that box and enter your information about receiving more information about becoming a foster parent or family. And we will follow up with you to connect you and provide with you those resources. Or maybe you're here this morning, you say, you know what, I'm not ready to do that, but I'm gonna join the care portal. The response team of receiving emails of specific needs in our area. That way I can jump in and participate with Boaz type generosity, amen? And thirdly, maybe you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I, I just wanna give to the 111 Project. I wanna help open up more counties. I wanna open, uh, see this team expanded as they go and they care for these orphans all throughout the state of Oklahoma. And so you can check any of those boxes and fill out that information this morning. And I want you to prayerfully consider what does that look like for you? Of how you're going to engage this issue. Church, thank you for the difference that you've made. It's been unbelievable what has happened in the last 10 years. We've given over $20,000 every year to this project, the 111 project, to see these counties open because of your generosity. It's amazing what God has done. We are the kinsmen redeemers, amen? Amen. Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you for the people of God, the sons and daughters that have said yes to being the kinsman redeemer for these children. And God, I pray that we would continue to say yes. God, if we are not involved yet, that we would say yes to getting involved now. God, I thank you for the DHS workers that are in this room this morning. And God, I just pray a special blessing over them. God, a strength over them as they engage this very messy issue. God, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them hope. God, restore their lives this morning. God, I pray for foster families that are in the room this morning. Those that have adopted children, God, that you would strengthen them. God, that you would send more people around them to love and support them and hold their arms up as they carry care for these children, your sons and your daughters. And God, we love you and we're so grateful to be a part of something that is very near and dear to your heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me this morning and grab your communion elements. Every weekend at City Church, we end our service with taking communion together. We practice open communion here at City Church so everyone is able to participate. But this morning, I wanna to talk to you and maybe you're here this morning and you've never taken Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us that all we have to do is believe in Him and He will be our Savior. Communion is a physical act of reminding ourselves of keeping Jesus as the center of our lives. That's why I love that we do this every week because I need a constant reminder of what it's all about. This wafer, 
this tasty wafer is a representation of Jesus' body that he gave up for you and I so that we would have freedom, that we would have peace, that we would have redemption and forgiveness of our sins. I'm so grateful for his sacrifice and the gift of his life. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna take the wafer together and then the juice. God, we thank you for sending your one and only son to be our redeemer. God, we're so grateful for your sacrifice. And God, I pray that we would center our lives back on you today that you would remind us every morning when we get up that we are a son and a daughter of King Jesus. God, and we honor you this morning and we remember in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's take the bread together. This juice represents Christ's blood that was shed that day for you and I as he gave up his life. Let's drink together. Church, thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for engaging the cause and the care of orphans and widows, not only in our city and our state, but here's the beautiful thing is Oklahoma is leading the charge now. We're at the bottom. Now we're saying other states are, are opening up care portals to say, hey, the church is making a difference. That's how God set it up for us to redeem the world. And it's happening one by one. It's gone down by, by several thousand now. In fact, when we first got involved, there were over 500,000 kids in the welfare system. I think it was actually close to 600,000. Now there's 400,000. It's a movement of the gospel. That's what's happening because of people just like you that decided to say yes. Every week here at City Church, we have guests that attend. And so if you're a guest with us today, I wanna say thank you for being here. We would love to meet you. And uh, personally, thank you for being our guest today. We have a gift for you uh, that we don't want you to leave here without. And so right after the service across the lobby, you'll see the welcome room. We'd love for you to stop by and say hello, uh, just 30 seconds of your time. And uh, then every weekend here at City Church, we close out with our mission statement. So you'll see it on the screen behind me and I'll set it up. I'll say, wherever you are, you guys just say back, be the gospel. So let's say that together this morning, wherever we are. Be the gospel. See you guys.